Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to the breakdown. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. Make sure you go back and listen to our previous podcast. Uh, we're going to be on YouTube. We're going to be on Apple. Uh, we're going to be on Spotify. Anywhere that you consume your content, make sure you check us out. And make sure you also give us a five-star review. I am Jamie Shaw. This is my co-host, Scott Spinelli. Scott, how's it going today? Excellent, Jamie. Again, so happy to be here with you and uh, looking forward to today's show. <laughs> and uh, it looks like here I see in the background we have a beautiful Dana Barrows basketball and everything there. Um, shout out to Dana Barros and their people for letting us uh, use and record and do all that at, at their spot. Yes. I mean, again, uh, special thanks to Dana, Travis, Stephanie, Mike. I mean, the, the whole crew here. Um, this is just a tremendous facility up here in south, uh, southeastern part of Massachusetts. And, um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to be able to produce and direct our show here. So, again, thanks to Dana Barros Basketball Club. No doubt. Uh, we got a great show uh, on cue for you here today as we go through Duke University. We're going to go through the personnel. We're going to talk stories, X's and O's and all that stuff. But first, let us kind of introduce ourselves, let you know who we are and why we are coming to you breaking down these teams. I am Jamie Shaw, National Basketball Analyst, Rivals.com, Senior Writer for Heat Check College Basketball, the author of the Absolute Basketball Report, one of the country's largest and the most trusted scouting services, NCAA compliant scouting services. This is my co-host, Scott Spinelli. Scott, tell me about yourself. So, Jamie, I've been a longtime basketball coach. Uh, I've had the blessings and, you know, the fortunate experience of having a chance to coach at every level of basketball. Uh, you know, I started as a head prep school coach for many years at two different programs. Um, started the Winston School, uh, you know, that, that basketball program. You know, we got it up and running. And then, uh, you know, I've been around this this college basketball, the pro game for quite a while, uh, from the low major to mid major to high major levels, as well as the minor league and some NBA experience. So, um, you know, I've done the whole gamut. Um, you know, my family and I have had a chance to move around and, and be in a lot of different places, meet a lot of different people and uh, just been a great experience thus far as we continue on. For the first installment of the breakdown, we broke down Virginia. Make sure you all go check that out. Uh, in the in the previous uh, podcast or YouTube video. For episode two, we're putting Duke under the microscope. Duke coming off a season that saw him finish 13 and 11 overall, 9 and 9, 10th place in the ACC. And just like in previous years, Duke right now was bringing in the number four overall class, Rivals.com, so another top five class. They have three more five stars in tow and another four star there and two transfers coming as well. So a six-man class, Paolo Banchero, number two overall. They have... AJ Griffin, number 16, Trevor Kills, number 22, and they have Jalen Blake's number 116 overall in the class. Theo John coming from Marquette, Bates Jones coming from Davidson. Scott, I know you've dove through the film and seen all these kids both in the recruiting trail as well as uh, preparing for here. Tell me about what these guys bring to the table and how they're going to be implemented with Duke as they move forward this season. Well, this is an impressive uh, haul right here for Coach K and his staff. Uh, obviously, Paulo Banchero is one of those major different difference makers um, that, you know, come around, you know, um, you know, once so often. I mean, he's a guy that could be, um, you know, 
I think the first pick in the NBA draft, I think he's that good. Um, you know, he's a player that possesses an, an unbelievable skill set at 6'10". Um, you know, he's 250 pounds, um, very versatile defensively. You could play all kinds of different things defensively with him in terms of whether he's at the five or at the four or at the three, if they want to go really big, you can switch ball screens with him. Uh, any ball screen coverage, whether you want to show hard, uh, you know, flat coverage, drop coverage, whatever you're thinking, whatever they're going to do defensively. Um, he's a versatile enough defensive player that, you know, you can, you can, you know, kind of mix up the defense in terms of how you want to play it. And he's also a presence at the rim, which again is going to be something very, very important for Duke, especially the way they defend out in the perimeter. They really get up and pressure the ball. So he's a major difference maker and, you know, a very unique side of him that in watching him, I'm not sure Jamie, you would agree with this, but watching him through on film through high school He's the kind of kid that, you know, it's a rarity to kind of say to yourself, look, a kid that's coming in from high school to the ACC as a freshman, there is a little transition to the speed of the game. Uh, you know, you've got to catch up with certain things, you know, and then obviously a kid like him eventually will be in the NBA uh, as long as he continues to stay healthy. But you could actually see at this point of where he is today that his game not only translates from high school to the ACC and being a major impact guy here at Duke as a freshman, but also from, from Duke when he does decide to leave, being a major impact player in the NBA. I'm not sure you agree with that, but I feel that very strongly about this kid. Yeah, and, and then A.J. Griffin as well, going over to Trevor Keels, Jalen Blakes. Um, I agree with you on Banchero and every aspect that you said. I, I think that he is is – the bee's knees when it comes to that. I fall for him hard and rivals to be the number one overall player um, and all that stuff. But uh, A.J. Griffin, Trevor Keels, Jalen Blakes, what, what do you see from them? And how do you see them kind of fitting into uh, this Duke team? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I the, the Paulo, you know, Banchero kid obviously is the guy that I kind of highlighted there. But let's let's make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that it, and to your point, these other freshmen are very, very talented and very capable also. You know, A.J. Griffin comes from a, uh, his dad obviously was a great player. Adrian Griffin played at Seton Hall, played a long time player in the NBA. Um, his brother uh, was at Syracuse, uh, Alan Griffin. Uh, you know, he lit up the scoreboard against us at Boston College. Excellent three-point shooter. Um, you know, he was obviously, that's his older brother. And then I believe his sister, um, is a, you know, impact player at the University of Connecticut on the women's team there. So, um, you know, great uh, family of, of basketball players, uh, starting with the dad, Adrian. But when you watch AJ, you know, you're watching a man child, you know, a kid that physically, um, you know, again, can defend multiple positions out on the floor. He can score from all three levels. Incredible athlete, uh, plays with a swagger and a tenacity, um, that, uh, you know, is something that I think he's going to bring. It's going to become even more infectious when he steps on the court because he's so competitive and he plays to win, um, you know, shoots the three, versatile enough to defend multiple positions. Again, if Duke, uh, you know, is switching a lot, he's a guy that could, you know, defend two, three, four, maybe in front of five. So uh, even their point guard at times. So he's going to be a valuable, you know, part of this class and, and, and impact the program. And then you look at Keels. I mean, you know, you look at a kid, you know, coming in that right now was a high school teammates, um, you know, um, with Jeremy Roach from DC. 
Another kid that's very physically well put together kind of reminds me a little bit of a Wendell Moore, um, you know, can go, you know, def again, defend multiple positions, go in and out, um, you know, can shoot, uh, plays again with a lot of swagger, a lot of confidence. He's going to bring in instant, you know, impact also. Um, so again, he's another talented kid that they're going to have. And they signed the young man from Blair Academy uh, late, the kid Jalen Blake, who I think is another guy that can, you know, give them minutes in the backcourt, um, especially, you know, with Roach um, and helping, you know, or at least, you know, spell him this year. And even at sometimes, you know, they might go with both of them, you know, in, in terms of protecting leads late in games. But, I mean, they've got a really impressive freshman class. And then you talk about their two grad transfers. They're older, a um, little bit different players. I mean, you know, Theo John from Marquette, is more rugged, more physical. He's battle tested in terms of the East, uh, coming from the Big East, uh, playing in, in, the, in the venues there and competing. You know, as you know, the Big East is a very physical league, and uh, he's a guy that can come in and um, you know give them great energy. He'll be a rebounder. You know, another guy that can protect the rim, and you know he's a, he's actually a better scorer than I think people give him credit for. So he'll assume any role you know that they're going to need him to. And then the young man from Davidson, Daniel Jones's brother, uh, Bates jo Jones, um, you know, coming in. The one thing about him, he's 6'8 also, but, you know, he's got a pure sh shot. I mean, pure stroke from the three. He's a kid that could come in and I'm sure knock down the three-point shot. So a very impressive six-man class. And you combine that with what's returning. You know, Duke is, is the, you, know, the, the, you know, the cupboard is full. The table is set. Uh, you know, if they stay healthy, this could be a real fun year uh, in seeing Coach K uh, try to win, I think, would be his sixth national title. I think he's got five right now, but they can definitely compete if this team stays intact and healthy. Duke plays so fast. They, they seem to be number one or number two in the ACC in scoring and, and all kinds of offensive production year in and year out. Speak a little bit toward how they get so many points and how they're able to efficiently score so many points in, in a game. Well, if you remember our last episode of the breakdown, we spoke about Virginia uh, and Virginia's the type of team, the way they play, you know, possessions tend to decrease during the game with Duke possessions are going to increase. And by that, I mean, this, they're big guys are, uh, you know, you know, they really put an emphasis on running their lanes they run their two guys, almost we talked about the NBA, run to those corners. They look to pitch ahead. And that five man usually is running to the front of the rim, that rim run. We talk about great players playing in straight lines. These guys are running their lanes in straight lines, and they really put pressure on the defense in transition. And again, in, in this setting, if you talk about Duke's team with this, you know, this group of players they've assembled this year, returners and newcomers, they're going to be deep. And the deeper they are, the more they can get out and run. So expect Duke to score a lot of points this year in transition. Um, they're one of the better teams. If you play against Duke, you've got to come in and your emphasis has to be right off the bat. You've got to sprint to defense. All five guys have to sprint. And not only do they do it too, Jamie, on misses, they do it on makes at times also where they'll get the ball and bounce quick and they'll outlet as far up the floor as they can and they'll look to pitch ahead. So they do put great pressure on you uh, in transition offense. And again, coming into this, in any of these games that we've always played Duke, that's been one focal point, you know, and at times even in practice, 
what we would do with our scout team, Jamie, we would tell our scout team, look, you know, don't even take the ball out on a made shot when we're playing five on five, just so our guys get used and get in the habit of, you know, um, sprinting back on defense. You know, we talk a lot about fingertips and voices with this big time communication. And if you're not sprinting back and someone's not, you know, calling out the rim and then you've got to obviously declare the basketball, stop the basketball. Then you've got to find dangerous people with meaning they're, you know, shooters. They've got to match up to those shooters. And then we talk about engage in the post. Those rules apply against Duke for the entire game in any missed or made shot opportunity. What I like to do is show you a couple of clips here of them in transition in terms of how fast they can get out and run. Even if we talk about it coming into the game, sometimes it takes, uh, you know, your, your team or our team a little bit of time, you know, to get familiar with how fast they actually play. So in this first clip, you're going to see on a missed shot here, you're going to see an opportunity where actually it's a block shot. They get the ball out, out of bounds quick and you can see how they run wide. So their five man's trying to run right to the front of the rim and they run wide with their guards and there's a pitch ahead you know, right there to Jalen Carey. And you think about how fast that just happened. The second clip, another missed shot. And you can see this is our team against Boston College when we played them. This was early in the game. So, again, I think it takes a little bit just to get uh, caught up with the speed with which they play. And, you know, our problem here is nobody declared the rim uh, getting back. And then if you can see Derek Thornton here backpedaling um, on defense, you know, it's something that is a no-no against Duke. You cannot backpedal. So right now, poor communication. Jalen Carey sprinting to the front of the rim, and they pitch ahead. And this is where Duke can really, really hurt you. They get out and run, and those are the easy baskets that you just can't give up if you're going to beat them, all right? In this setting right here, you can see another situation in transition where everybody's running wide, and I'll stop it there. Look at the spacing on the floor. Um you know, right now you've got guys filled into spots where, you know, this, I believe this is Jones with the ball, you know, he can drive any which way, but in this set, set right here, he's driving it and look at O'Connell, his hands are ready, his hips are down. And again, you know, sticking to what Duke likes to do in transition, if it's not a layup, they'll put pressure on you by driving the basketball, playing off two, and they'll shoot threes. And if they get going from the three point line, you know, those, aren't, those, that, those can add up very fast also. Another situation here, this is off a missed free throw. Watch how fast they get the ball up the floor, pitch ahead, and then they're wide open to a three-point shot. I think that's Joey Baker right there, um, you know, with that three-point make. So, you know, in all of those possessions, you can see Duke on misses in, 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 in those settings looking for layups first, big man running to the rim, five man right to the front of the rim, and then they're looking to pitch ahead at any time whether that's for the drive or whether that's the driving kick or whether it's for a wide open three. So very, very impressive in terms of how they get out and transition and run. So you've mentioned a few times NBA style. Obviously they've had a ton of talent and that goes so much more than just having NBA players on, uh, on your roster. It's a system playing inside out and playing through some bigs and, and movement and continuity and all that stuff. Talk a little bit more about how Duke offense is an NBA-style type of offense? Well, first of all, let me make reference to this, Jamie, and that is this. You know, Coach K, every year, plays to the strength of his individual players for the collective benefit of the team. 
And by means of that is this, they'll come into games where if they feel like they have a matchup advantage, they have a lot of quick hitting uh, sets that each one of their players will be showcased to play to their strengths. In the NBA, as you know, Jamie, a lot of the, the game, the game is about matchups. Okay. Exploiting a matchup in the NBA is a big part of what the NBA is about on the offensive end of the floor. And Duke does it as well as anybody. The other thing I'll mention about Coach K and Duke is that if they are successful in running one of these quick hitting uh, plays for any of their guys, most of the time they run it again and again and again until you stop it. So the old school mentality of until you stop it, we're not going to stop doing this. And uh, that's another thing that you've got to be prepared for against Duke. With all of that said, Duke tries to play inside out in two different ways. One way is with great spacing. So what they'll do is they'll occupy usually four spots on the floor. And then that, you know, that five man could be either in the dunker spot or run running ball screen. But what they're really trying to do is drive the ball, get a paint touch and then play off that. So that's a, that's the first way they'll play inside out, get in the paint, look to kick, if they can kick for threes, they'll do that. If they can get all the way to the basket, they'll do that. So the first clip I'm going to show you is them here actually just playing right out of transition where it's a dribble handoff. And you'll see here, they just came right off of it and looked to, to drive the ball off the little pitch, play off two right in the paint. And you can see Trey Jones there, you know, uh, spotting up, getting his hands ready and his hips down. Second action here, you'll see again, you know, driving the ball to the paint, playing off two, and you can see the great spacing. We talk about NBA spacing. You know, they've got right now literally four guys beyond the three-point line with one guy, you know, driving the basketball. And in North Carolina's defense here, they're swarming to the ball. And so what happens is it's an easy kick and then one more for a wide-open three. That's vintage Duke basketball where they're playing inside out off the dribble in those two scenarios. In this third, third case here, um, you know, we're going to talk about inside out in a different way. So uh, any of their post guys, especially this is in this case, this is kind of old school, but any of their five men, and especially this year with Banchero, if they play him down there and Williams, you know, we'll talk about Williams here later in the broadcast, but if the ball goes inside here, the old school traditional way, they're going to play inside out through the post, meaning this. Plumley here catches, he makes an aggressive move, and this time you can see the Duke players all with their hands ready, moving to get in Plumley's vision. A lot of them, they're not standing still, and you can see the Miami defenders here kind of locked in to what's happening on the ball, and that's something that you cannot do against Duke because they will make you pay, and you can see Ryan Kelly there, you know, getting Plumley's vision for three. Here's another example of it. Plumley in the post, you know, call that running off the wall. You can see a couple of the Duke players kind of cut early. But again, in this set here, you'll see Virginia Tech kind of lose sight of their man here, one of their defenders, and they just relocate beyond the three-point line for a wide-open three. So, uh, again, those are two scenarios that Duke plays inside out with. And this is another set where – they actually uh, come down in transition. They just drive the basketball. And in this situation here, you know, we talk about 
you know, the NBA spacing here and watch what um, Emil Jefferson does. So on the penetration, while the Duke players on the perimeter are relocating behind the three, he's actually in what we would call the dunker spot. So that dunker spot there, Duke does a great job if you're driving the ball and let's say the Duke offensive man beats his defender, he gets in the paint and in that dunker spot, he gets behind the backboard there and he positions himself where the defense as he helps up, you know, he leaves, you know, Emil Jefferson here wide open for an easy dunker finish. And that's another example of how they're spacing and how they're moving on the dribble, whether it's in the post or whether it's off the dribble drive. So Jamie, they play both ways, um, you know, in terms of how they play inside out. And it's really difficult to defend because most of the times as a defender, you know, you're caught there in position where you're taught to help. You're seeing the ball, but you have to see your man and, you know, playing in Cameron, you know, playing, you know, fast as they do throughout the game, you know, mentally you might fatigue a little bit. And then if one guy breaks down on defense, just one, you know, it costs, you know, everybody a possession um, where they're going to get a wide open look. So very impressive over the years in terms of how they play with that NBA spacing. A lot of the talk that you went through with Duke here plays with their bigs. You talked about playing inside out in the half court. You also play, talked about in transition, their bigs rim running and getting downhill fast to the basket. You can't talk about Duke and their bigs without Mark Williams. Obviously he, he, he was one of the biggest stock risers of the season last year and really improved himself. What do you see from Mark Williams? What caused the improvement do you think last year? And what do you see from him coming forward this year uh, to make his mark in the ACC? Well, let's think back to the last six games last year. Uh, Mark Williams developed in probably, he was probably the best big man, you know, five man in the ACC over the last six games of the ACC schedule. I mean, his numbers, you know, were, you know, um, astronomical in terms of what he was, you know, his productivity. He was around 16 points plus per game. He was almost at a double-double, I think eight and a half rebounds. And then his shooting percentage was like 74% or so, maybe even higher than that from the field. And, you know, his improvement from where he was early in the year, again, the credit goes to Coach K, Coach Shy, the entire staff, because one thing that Duke does do another really good job of, although these guys are five stars and four stars, they do develop their players. And Mark Williams is a perfect example of that. And he might not have played as much early on and they might've been working him out, you know, extra, um, you know, he might've even been that much more motivated. The bench seems to motivate a lot of players, as you know, Jamie. And so he came back over the last six games and he was phenomenal. Um, and then you add the defensive presence at the rim. He's so long and he's so athletic that, um, you know, oftentimes when he's kind of setting those running ball screens in that, you know, four out, one in type, and he's running out, setting them. When he does roll, it's hard for the defense because, you know, you can kind of just throw the ball up to him and he's going to go right up over you and just catch it. And so, uh, we look for him to be a major impact player this year, especially the way he finished last season. Sure, he had a great summer working in the weight room, getting even stronger. And with Duke's individual developmental program and the, you know, the nutrition strength program we talked about, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with this year for sure. Growing up when we were both younger, 
I have very vivid memories of this Duke defensive team coming down crunch time, Cameron Endor, all five of them just slapping the floor, playing the tough defense. We're going to get in your face and do all this type of stuff. Obviously, that was 20 years ago or so. Wojciechowski and all of them were still in school. Talk a little bit now about Duke's defensive identity and, and what they do and try to do on the defensive end of the floor as well. Well, you know, when you think of Duke, and I think that's one of Coach K's legacy that, you know, will always be remembered about Duke. And that is when, you know, five guys, when you're coming over half court, you see the entire defense, the Duke defense, all get down and slap the floor to position themselves low and get in that ready stance, butt down, back straight, palms up, airplane, and really be in that defensive stance. And that trademark, that legacy was established by Coach K and will always be remembered. Uh, I can't tell you how many times, I'm sure you can attest to this too, Jamie, when you're at a basketball camp in the summer or you're um, watching a high school team or an AU team practice, how many drills that you actually kind of see teams try to mirror that slap in the floor, getting low on defense. And to my knowledge, Dukes was the first team that I've ever seen do it in games. And that was kind of a thing that Coach K established and will always be some form, somewhat of an identity um, to Duke basketball. With that said, talking about their defense, a little different, right? So last, pod, last episode of the breakdown, we talked about Virginia. And Virginia's pack line is more predicated on one pass away help positioning in the gaps, meaning if the ball, wherever it may be, whether it's at the top of the key, whether it's in the slot, uh, whether it's on the wing, Virginia's pack line defense is predicated on one pass away defenders being in the gap where they're really in a position where they discourage or they don't, they don't give away in uh, any type of um, opportunities for driving lanes. With Duke, they play a little bit more of an NBA style. And by that, I mean this unbelievable pressure on the ball and they'll get in you now 94 feet and they'll guard you. Uh, pressure will come, pressure will go like most teams, but they will really want to pick up the pressure. And we talk about great defense once again, starting with pressure on the ball. Um, you know, Duke has done that year in and year out and they're as good as anybody at doing so. The biggest difference between a team like Duke and a team like Virginia, and both are very, very successful in their ways, is one pass away defense uh, with Duke over the years has not been a place on dribble drives where they've given a lot of help. And so by that, and I'm going to show you what I mean here on film here in a second, is when the ball is driven, for example, from the slot to a single side corner, meaning the offense, you know, of the, you know, is in the corner, strong side corner, and the offense has the ball in the slot position, any of those dribble drives, a lot of times, you know, Duke's going to play it like an NBA team and they'll foot fake and jab at you, but they're not leaving that corner guy similar to that of the NBA. That's a, that three point shot in the NBA is the highest percentage shot that there is. And, you know, in college, if you're wide open, that seems to be a very makeable shot with high percentages uh, teams make that shot. So Duke's going to play it like an NBA team. Let me let me get into that and show you that. So this is an example of Duke's full court pressure. This was Goldwire, you know, and he's up on the ball. And you can see his airplane technique, and he's really applying pressure. He's not giving you an inch here. And it does take a toll, especially in Cameron, when teams come in and that full court pressure, you know, is applied. 
Um, and that was, a, that was a very good example of how intense they are in their man full court. The other thing here is you're going to see, and they will create offense through their defense. And by that, I mean this. When they are playing in those gaps one pass away, not a lot of help in terms of the dribble drive. However, they want to deny that pass as best they can, and they look to shoot the gaps. Why Duke has been so successful in terms of how many points they've scored you know, per, per year within the ACC and as well as in the country is because they create a lot of offense through their defense, and a lot of it is steals, one pass away shooting the gap. The only problem with that possession is Goldwire, although he gets the steal, he probably – he uses an outside hand. We, you know, we like to talk about it. Duke does it usually. They're so fundamentally well coached. They get in that with that inside hand and they tip it. The reason you're inside hand is because if you do not get the ball and you go with your inside hand, it doesn't take you out of the play. But this is an example of them creating offense, you know, through their defense, easy baskets. And then these easy baskets are really hard for teams to overcome if they stop making those easy baskets. So let's go back to this statement that we made about Duke in terms of their one pass away positioning in terms of not helping out of a slot drive when the strong side corner uh, is occupied on a single side. And this is what I mean by that. Kia Clark here from Virginia has the ball, you know, we would say the slot area. Um, and you can see here Keys is on the wing. If he moves as he moves on the dribble to the corner, you can see the Duke defender not helping at all off of him. And this is more of an NBA look where in the NBA, again, they don't want to help too much strong side, uh, especially off corner, you know, shooters because of the percentages and the analytics work against you. And what Duke will do now is they'll rotate from what we call the weak side help position. And in this case, it's uh, carry coming over and they love to weak side block shots here with their bigs and that will get them going in transition. So another example of how Duke does play more in NBA style, when we showed that type of action last episode, we saw Virginia much more uh, active, you know, early gap and, and help there and that one pass away from the slot to the corner. So again, different styles, both extremely successful. Duke's more of an NBA style in terms of how they play that one pass away slot drive to corner in terms of not helping. So this next clip is, is vintage Duke also. Now, this set right here, you know, this is Boston College. You know, um, you know obviously I was there over the last several years, and we actually had Stephon Mitchell, pretty versatile, uh, kind of a forward, you know, hybrid forward who actually could bring the ball up. And you could see Duke here not even to backing off any pressure. So that's Delorier playing, whether he's the four or the five, you know, picking up here full court trying to apply pressure. You know, we tried in this possession here to kind of run a little back door and, you know, Duke recovers nicely, but we'd like you to watch the intensity of which they play every possession. You know, they, they're helping here on the dribble drive, that rotation right there where Wendell Carter actually helps from the elbow down is an NBA rotation where he's taking away that, you know, that baseline drift, you know, he was occupied defensively, guarding the uh, you know, elbow slot guy, and he actually picks him up. And watch the hustle from Delorier in terms of a stick hand. We call that a stick hand closeout, really trying to contest high hand 
here by closing out and recovering and causes a double pump pass, almost a turnover. And look at them continue to keep applying the pressure. They're up. Uh, you can see Jones here uh, in the opposite slot, you know, up almost denying that. And everybody else is in a stance. And now, again, those are the kind of possessions, you know, that Duke feeds off of in the sense that what they'll do then is take that possession, rebound it, and really kind of play downhill again with that, you know, inside-out attack, whether it's off the drive to the paint and kick, whether they'll throw it in the post, they'll get great perimeter action, and then they'll try to play, you know, inside-out that way. So Duke's defense has been a staple of Coach K and their success over the last several years. And when you really play against it, you, you experience it, it's – Great pressure on the ball, extreme pressure on the ball. Um, they'll pick up 94 feet at times. And at the same time, they have tremendous rotations, especially year in and year out. They have a presence at the rim that, you know, will come over and rotate on any of those slot drives where they don't help out of the strong side corner. And that proposes a lot of problems because the offensive man thinks they're going to get to the rim. And in actuality, you know, the rim gets covered up pretty fast with a shot blocker that they've recruited year in and year out. So, again, recruiting, you know, system fits in terms of what they recruit and how they recruit. Um, a lot of these players aren't just put there because they're five stars. There's a, you know, a reason why they're there. They're, they're putting together a team. And a lot of this has a, a lot to do with how they play. So uh, Coach K has been extremely successful, um, you know, with the defense that he's applied since he's been there. And, you know, you have to be ready game in and game out and limiting turnovers is another reason why a lot of teams go into Cameron or a lot of teams will go and, uh, you know, they'll lose to Duke because they turn the ball over. Somehow we've gotten to this point in the podcast and haven't mentioned quite possibly the two most important returners um, to the team off of last year's team, Wendell Moore, Joey Baker. Scott, you've had a chance to coach against junior Wendell Moore and senior Joey Baker for multiple years now. How important will they be to this team and this locker room this year? Well, Wendell Moore really came on. Let's start with him last year. He actually became somebody that not only was efficient offensively for them and was a guy that could actually score in a variety of ways, um, you know, but he was a guy that took on the responsibility of guarding the opposition's best offensive player. Um, he was a guy that late in the year was that defensive stopper for them. And with his body, his size, his strength, um, he's got great feet, another versatile guy for them. He looks to be the guy this year that's going to bring great energy defensively for them. Um, I think he could guard anyone from a one point guard to, uh, you know, whether it's their off guard, two, three, four. Um, and even if they want to go one through five on the floor, you know, with his strength, I'm sure he can get around guys and front them, sit on that front leg and be physical with them. So I think he's going to bring a lot on the defensive end. And then usually what happens, as we've known, Jamie, over the years, when you get these type of guys who are talented like Wendell Moore is, you know, and they're there for more than two, you know, two years, they continue to develop and they really kind of, you know, establish an identity for themselves. And, you know, Wendell Moore is somebody that I believe to be that guy this year that's going to be a defensive stopper for them. And, you know, he still can score points and he's efficient with it and he's improved in all those areas. Um, he's an elite level finisher in transition. 
but he'll be making, I'm sure, shots this year at a higher percentage just because of the individual development in the offseason. Joey Baker has always been known as a three-point shooter, a kid that we actually recruited years ago. Um, you know, plays the, it looks like he plays the game, um, you know, with a passion. He's got a love for the game. And when he steps on the floor, he brings energy. Um, known as an excellent three-point shooter, he has a pure stroke. Um, his go-to move, he has a tremendous up fake. Um, and it's, it's one thing to talk about it, and you can show it on film all you want. But when you're closing out on him and you know he can shoot the three, you've got to be very disciplined not to bait, not to fall for that up fake because it is really, really good. Um, those guys, I think, will bring great experience um, to this Duke team. And their roster is loaded, Jamie. They've got a loaded roster this year, um, you know, with some really talented returners, as well as a good, uh, good recruiting class that they've had in terms of six players coming in with both experience, the two grad transfers, and four freshmen who are all extremely talented. And, you know, probably looking at a couple of those guys in terms of freshmen, if they stay healthy and continue to develop, are probably going to be top, you know, lottery picks in next year's draft. So they've got a really, really exciting year here to look forward to in Coach K's last season as the head coach. We've broke down the personnel on the roster. We've gone through the recruiting class. We've talked about all the players in the rotation. We've given the X's and O's of their offensive system and what they try to do on offense. We've talked about their defensive system and stuff. I feel like, though, with all that Coach K has done for this game and everything like that, let's close out with a little conversation about Coach K and kind of what he means, you know, to the game and, and to what he's done and his legacy and, and living thoughts as to what he'll have with you. Jamie, for me, in watching Coach K, whether I, you know, was a player, um, you know, into my coaching career, my biggest takeaway from all of the, you know, forget all of the five national titles and the 12 ACC regular season, ACC championships. Uh, I think he's with 12 final fours. Um, you know, he's got, you know, 25 or so NBA lottery picks. Take away all of that. To me, it's Coach K's true love, passion that he has for his players. Um, he is extremely committed and loyal to his guys. And as a player and now as a coach, I think that means quite a bit. When you see him now as a coach, he hires his former players, you know, thanking them for their efforts, whether they scored, you know, double digit points or whether they were just there and they contributed to helping the team win every day in practice. Um, he's extremely loyal to his guys. And it's, it's such a true passion and uh, love that he has for his players. That's always stood out to me about Coach K. And you add this, Cameron is a place that um, it's not a, you know, I'm sure over the years they could have made Cameron into a coliseum or some type of dome. Um, to keep it like it is, you know, it's, it's a place that will be synonymous always with Coach K and the energy and the crowd and the atmosphere. I mean, what a fun place for the college kids to go to games. The energy in that building, um, you know, the school spirit that's being exhibited by the students for their classmates that are playing. Um, it makes college basketball special. And so the atmosphere that's been created there um, is a tribute to Coach K and all his players and his staff 
And I think those are the two things for me. Um, if you take away all the wins and everything else he's done, those are the two things that I respect most that I've seen Coach K do year in and year out. For me, the thing that sticks out the most about Coach K in his career is his adaptability. Um, obviously, he's been coaching since the 70s, came through and was wildly successful leading into the 90s. Um, you know, but every uh, era of basketball, he played that style. You know, the two tough big guys in the late 80s, early 90s, shifting over in the 2000s to a smaller ball um, ability to be able to get up and run and have guys guard multiple positions and switchability and all that type of stuff. And even on the recruiting trail, um, you know, one of the best recruiters of our, our era, he adapted to the one-and-done model. Uh, he, he sold that. He was able to come in and get pros. Um, you know, when a lot of people were winning with four-year players, he saw the shift before a lot of other people. He was able to adapt that and, and go after those type of players. But expanding on that a little bit more, what Coach K has done is, is his ability to evaluate elite talent. Um, a lot of guys recruit – well, not a lot of coaches, but coaches recruit five stars. Coach K's five stars seem – to be good pros as well. You can't say that for a lot of five stars. A lot of guys get, a lot of guys can recruit five stars. They come in and they don't necessarily pan out at the five-star level moving ahead. Coach K seems to bring in that one and done five-star talent that he's done these last five, six years. And those guys end up having great college careers. And those guys end up getting drafted and having good pro careers as well. I think that's a, that's a something for coach K for me. Obviously I haven't been, this is my ninth year doing the scouting and recruiting at the highest level and all that type of stuff. Been around all this type of stuff on this side of things. That's something that's really stood out to me. Obviously I'm with rivals.com and national recruiting guy. The recruiting stuff is what I pay attention to. It's what I do on my daily nine to five, seeing how he evaluates talent and his ability to land and get the talent. I think really, really, really sticks out to me. Um, Very as well. well as all the stuff that you mentioned also. Very well said, Jamie. And, you know, I'll just add one thing to that, too. Um, as a coach, you know, Jamie, um, you know, I've been on the bench as assistant coach, but as a head coach. I also, a long time ago, I was a head prep school coach, and we had a lot of what you call post-grads, fifth-year players come in, the Victor Pages, you know, Randell Jacksons, Melvin Watsons, very talented players. And to your point, Coach K's been able to take these, you know, one and duns or these extremely talented five-star guys and also blend them into a team. It's a lot harder to coach talented guys, um, especially in today's age, you know, with all these aspirations and, you know, the dreams that these kids have and, and make them conform and sacrifice for the benefit of the team. So to your point, you know, I think you, you know, very well said, and I just wanted to add that to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And another thing that he's done, too, that I just thought about as you mentioned that, you mentioned this earlier, was it's all about the team, the brotherhood, the community of Duke. He's able also to bring in some of these five stars who have pro aspirations that maybe don't go pro for two or three years, but they keep them in the program and, and, and they, they play for the greater good of the team. And he's done that year after year after year, just as you said, and that's, that's, a, that's a heck of a point that is the brotherhood. I mean, it's, it's called the brotherhood for a reason. There's a thing there and he has a great camaraderie. It seems like with his players, new players, old players, his locker room seems to be airtight and, and a desirable situation. You know, Jamie, last thing, and I'll let it go from here. Um, as a coach, um, the, 
the wins, the, you know, the, the ups, the downs and all the experiences, you know, you can't take those with you, but the legacy of impacting young people, I think coach K has done that, um, you know, as well as anyone ever has. And for all of us as coaches, myself included, the legacy that you leave behind will be how impact, how you've impacted others, uh, how you've helped them. And just as I'm sure as proud, like a guy like me, I am of my players who have made it, or guys who I've discovered and recruited to the NBA, you're just as proud as the guys who are going on to be engineers, doctors, uh, you know, uh, assistant general managers. And Coach K, to, to your point, has done that not just with his NBA guys, to all the players that played for him. So, you know, he'll be sorely missed um, and always you know, remembered for what he's done uh, for, college, for Duke University as well as college basketball, period. Scott, this has been another great episode covering Duke University basketball. It was great for me to be able to look in, see a little more in-depth portion, the X's and O's, and kind of peel back the layers a little bit as to what this team is on the inside moving out, to use a phrase that you used earlier as well. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for tuning in. Please make sure that you subscribe wherever you're listening to this at, whether it be the YouTube version, the podcast version, um, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you're listening to this at, please make sure you subscribe and please rate us five stars. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Make sure you go back and listen to the previous Virginia one that we've done. We're going to have upcoming the rest, the remainder of the ACC uh, teams coming as well. We're going to go pretty rapid fire leading into the preseason here. So please stay with us. Stay tuned. Let us know what you think of everything. Let us know how good you think Duke's going to be. I want to hear from you, whether you, you know, you're seeing this on social media or you're on YouTube or the comments on the, on the um, podcast stuff. I want to hear from you. How good do you think Duke will be? Who's going to be the start lineup? Please, uh, please rate it. Please subscribe to us. Thank you guys so much. For my co-host, Scott Spinelli, I'm Jamie Shaw, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.